Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's always wonderful to have you with me. I want to dive right in because I'm going to talk about recent events in Israel. If you sense that my heart is heavy, then you'll know why by the time I'm done with this podcast, I imagine many of you feel very much the same way. In the approximately one week since this explosion in Israel, uh, I have been called time and again. I'm sort of in a role with people of explaining history and explaining religious trends and what, how that plays in history and how that plays in contemporary events. So not the smartest guy on the planet, but usually I'm tracking these things, reading the history on top of it, have some academic background. That's my only qualification for being here and talking about this podcast. Plus, I have a great deal of experience in the Middle East. I guest lecture at universities. I advise uh, a couple of people groups. I've worked extensively in the Middle East. So uh, not trying to give you my street cred, just trying to explain why I am daring to do what so many others have done, and that is to try to explain this situation. I definitely have my biases. I definitely have my opinions, and I'll try to bring those to the fore towards the end. So first of all, you know what happened on October the 7th. Very important that we remember that it was October the 7th, 2023. Essentially, Hamas, I'll explain all these terms later, uh, decided to move out of Gaza and go on a violent terrorist spree in Israel. Now, let's slow it down a little bit. Gaza has existed on essentially the southwest corner of Israel for since before the time of Jesus. Obviously, the borders were drawn differently and some of the names were different, but it's it has long been that strip of land uh, along the Mediterranean Sea on the southwest corner of what is now Israel. It is approximately, this is an easy way for you to remember it, it's approximately 139 square miles, which means it's approximately twice Washington, D.C., where I'm sitting right now. It's about twice the size of the entire city of Washington, D.C. That's a, that's a way to get some sense of it in your mind. It shares a 25-mile border with Israel and an eight-mile border with Egypt. So that may give you some sense of approximately where it is. There are about 2 million people there. The vast majority are, of, are Muslims. Most of them are Palestinians. And about two uh, let's say 3,000 of them are Christians, vast majority Muslim. Definitely, there are about 3,000 Arab Christians. They would be Orthodox in Gaza. I've been there. Uh, I've dined there. I've sat with friends there. And uh, I, I'm going to say something that might bother some of you, but I always love the people and hate the government. Okay, that's kind of where I am. I've been to Iran, love the people, despise the government other places like that. Gaza is very much the same way for reasons I'm about to explain. Now, October the 7th was a very important day. One of the things that terrorist organizations like to do uh, is that they like to attack on rest or holy days. They like to attack on anniversaries, uh, and they like to attack during festivals. So, 
Uh, October the 7th was all three for Israel. This is important to remember because this is the kind of symbolism that the terrorists intended. Okay? On October the 7th, you had not only Shabbat, which, of course, is the weekly holy day of Jews. You also had Sukkot going on. So Christians, people raised in church, Westerners might better know it as the Feast of Booths, uh, the celebration of people building shelters in the wilderness, and therefore they would build booths on their balconies or in their yards, etc. Westerners know that very well. They, Western Christians teach this uh, celebration, this festival to their children in Sunday school. And towards the end of Sukkot is Simchat Torah. It's a celebration of the Torah, a celebration of the Jew, Jewish uh, books of the Bible, so to speak. And that's what Saturday, October the 7th was. I'm using Western language when I say October 7th and Saturday, but that's what it was. It was also one day off the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, a war between Israel and its Arab enemies, one of the, one of the numerous wars for that. Okay. Well, let's back up and talk a little history before I dive into what happened on October the 7th. Um, you, you need to know, uh, because it's important to understand how we got into these kinds of tensions, uh, that Israel acquired the land that is now Gaza in the 1967 Six-Day War. This was a war launched by surrounding Arab nations. Israel was dominant. It was victorious. It acquired, through conquest, the land that is Gaza. But they were happy to have the Palestinians run it. So in 1990, under the Oslo Accords, these are words you may have heard in the news but not quite understood what they meant. I certainly understand that. Under the Oslo Accords, um, Israel, with the U.S. permission, gave the governance of Gaza to the PLO, to Palestinian organizations by various names, okay, which sounds right, right? People are Palestinians. Uh, we don't want them you know, getting into Israel and causing trouble, but we're certainly happy to have, for them to have their own uh, self-government, so Israel says. And in 1993, under the Oslo Accords, Gaza was given over to Palestinian government. Well, through the years, there were elections and there was political machinations and there was, you know, power games going on in Gaza. And in 2007, Hamas, which is a terrorist organization run by Iran, it is the military wing of Iranian uh, activity, guerrilla activity in the Middle East, specifically in Gaza, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, etc. The Palestinian territories in and around Israel. So in 2007, Hamas, a terrorist organization run by Iran, took control of Gaza. So now you've got to understand how this works religiously. Iran is a Shia Muslim country. We would say Shiite in the West. And they are various distinctions separate from Sunni Muslims. We don't need to get into the details right now. But the bottom line is that they are on the radical end of Islam, and they are designated by our country, by the U.S., as a terrorist state. They are committed to the eradication of Israel. Constantly, their senior clergy make this point, talk this way, speak of liquefying the Jews, speak of driving the Jews into the sea, speak of ending Israel, uh, speak of taking Jerusalem in a jihad. So there ain't no love there in Iran for uh, Israel. And Hamas runs Gaza right there on a strip sharing a border with Israel. Hamas is also dominant on the West Bank, dominant in the Golan Heights. 
And then, of course, you have another organization, not related to the Gaza story I'm about to tell necessarily, uh, coming out of Lebanon, which is Hezbollah. And you, you hear me pronouncing it a little bit oddly. I'm using the Arab pronunciation, a little bit of Hezbollah. And it's the Iranian terrorist organization that operates against Israel out of Lebanon. Okay, a little complex, but you understand what I'm saying. So you te- basically have tension between Israel and this Iranian run via a terrorist organization called um, Hamas strip of land called Gaza, where there are terrorist cells, where the headquarters of the terrorists are often put under hospitals and under schools and in in highly, highly populated apartment complexes. And Israel surrounds it. Israel controls its utilities. Uh, Israel can shut it down anytime they want. But for the most part, they're fairly benevolent in terms of how they treat the, the, the Gazan citizens. And you have, by the way, amongst the Gazan people, the people of Gaza, they are under this tyrannical Hamas government, and then they also end up having to deal with the repercussions of whatever Israel does to punish Hamas. They're right there in the middle where the bombs are falling and what have you. Most of them are innocent. I've said before, some of them are Christians. And in fact, a very tiny percentage of them are Jews. So that's the oddness of Gaza. Well, what has happened of late is that Israel, to be very blunt, has been distracted. Okay, not only on October 7th did you have Shabbat, the holy day, their their Sunday, the Jewish Sunday, some people would say. You had the end of Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, with Shimkat Torah, which is the celebration of the reading through the the, uh, Torah. And you also had the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. All of that was going on on that day. So there are celebrations, there's Shabbat, there's things happening with food and people at home and Jews are commanded to rest on their on their Shabbat and so on. You'd also had recently a great many riots, a huge number of protests. A lot of this had to do with the political left being upset with the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. Okay, Netanyahu had considered or discussed a restructuring of the judiciary. He had put some people in office who were known to be criminals at worst and stridently anti-Arab and pro-settlement at best. So you had a lot of protests. You had a lot of distractions. The Israeli Defense Force uh, was stretched thin trying to cover all this. And during all this time, Hamas played possum. They went quiet. They sort of said, ah, we don't want to fight with you. We don't want to fight with you. You got all this stuff going. We understand. We don't want to fight with you. And many times they didn't press the advantage they could have made. So we now know that this October 7th incursion, terrorist action, call it what you will, had been planned for a year or two, at least a solid year, if not the better part of two years. And what happened uh, very quickly, I can say it, and by the way, it was, and I'm certainly not complimenting these evil people, uh, but I, you need to recognize the tactics of your enemies. They were brilliant in what they did. So while Israel is distracted, not only with its religious celebrations and anniversaries, but also with riots and the splitting of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, and so on, at 0630, On the morning of October the 7th, now bear in mind that the time in Israel is ahead of ours, so these hours are slightly different. At 0630, you began to have Hamas go on the move. And they did it in a way that 
the normal sensors, normal intelligence services, uh, normal uh, a system called Iron Dome that shoots enemy missiles out of the air does it very well to the tune of about 99% accuracy. Um, but what Hamas used to go into Israel was not detectable for the most part. Here are some examples. They did decide uh, that they would use low-tech to invade Israel. They would use low-tech and they would attempt not to cause the destruction, uh, not to trigger uh, a lot of the detector systems that normally would have been used. So first of all, they had faked construction sites all along the wire between Gaza and Israel. And there were bulldozers at these construction sites. So if the Israelis were watching with their drones or with drive-bys and inspections, they would have just seen what looked like road work or what looked like ditch work. And there were bulldozers at about 20 different sites along the Gaza-Israel fence. Well, at 0630 on Saturday, basically what is our Saturday morning, Shabbat morning, the signal was given and those bulldozers began to plow through the fence. Well, the Israelis did not have, the Israeli army did not have any way to detect this. They were used to detecting missiles through Iron Dome. They were used to uh, working at that level. So you begin to have at 20 strategic spots along the wire between the two, you begin to have the bulldozers just plow into the barbed wire, tear down the fences, keep going, rip them out of the ground, lay them flat. And terrorists began to pour through those 20 punctures in the barrier. At the same time, uh, you began to have Hamas paraglide various people and in large numbers into Israel. Some would paraglide. Some of those, some of these gliders were motorized. Some were not. But some of the, the more motorized ones would go and they would drop bombs onto observation towers. So you picture uh, a long fence. You've seen this in the movies with observation towers periodically. Well, a drone or a, a motorized glider would fly in. It could not be detected by radar. And they were able to get close enough to drop bombs onto the observation towers killing the soldiers, incapacitating the technology, and thus allowing people to pour over the border uh, into Israel. This was very wisely done. Paragliders, of course, also can't be detected. They aren't motorized. And the one that got the most attention was there was a large music festival going on in the in the desert, about 250 youth dancing, basically having what we would call in the West a rave. And all of a sudden, paragliders began to descend uh, upon this rave and from the air fire onto the participants, throw grenades. They reached the ground. They kidnapped cars. Uh, took cars captive and began to race through the crowd, shooting and firing. Many, many youth were killed and wounded. It was horrible, absolutely terrible. Now then, the thing that began to happen was that you had lots and lots of Hamas troops, we'll call them troops even though they're a terrorist organization and don't deserve the name, they began to pour over the border. They began to go into the villages, uh, into the cities, and they obviously were un under instructions to be absolutely merciless. They began to shoot up people on the streets. They emphasized women, 
children and the elderly. The idea was to break the Israeli spirit. They stormed into houses and shoot, shot people in their beds. They would open up homes and then send one of the uh, terrorist favorite tools are fuel-soaked tires that are lit on fire. Uh, this was used by the ANC in South Africa. It was called necklacing. If you wanted to punish somebody, you'd soak a, a tire uh, with fuel, you'd light it, and then you, of course, you would put it around the neck of somebody. So not only were they burning to death, but they were having hot rubber falling on them, burning into their skin. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. Sorry to be so graphic, but it's going to get a little bit worse. So the Hamas did this by rolling flaming tires into the bedrooms of children. We know this without, without question. Children were the focus. Children were kidnapped. Children were killed. And you've heard that at one place, uh, children were beheaded. It's true. At a kibbutz, the name of it doesn't matter, it's a southern kibbutz, there were 40 children killed, some were beheaded. So in other words, they were slaughtered and then some were beheaded. You have debates in the press about whether there's an exaggeration that all of them were beheaded. Nobody's making that claim. The fact is 40 were killed. Some were beheaded. These were babies. These are infants. It just went on and on and on. The thing that is striking terror uh, into a lot of people's souls, of course, is not just the shootings. About 1,500 uh, Israelis were killed initially, uh, but the incredible violence. People were hacked to death. Uh, there are videos we have from ha Hamas where they are bringing people out of their homes and putting them in the courtyards and killing them and laughing the entire time. Young Israeli women were captured on the streets, stripped down. Uh, you can see as they're being loaded in the vehicles, they're being done while being molested sexually. I'm going to be a little bit more graphic than that. They're being felt up, to use the term we would use in the West. Uh, hands are being put down their pants. Hands are being put down their pants front and back. Breasts are being felt. It's obviously, some of them have been shot. A lot of, a lot of them have been beaten. And of course, rape is a favorite tactic. Nothing Hamas loves more than to impregnate an Israeli girl. Many young Israeli women are pulled off the streets, uh, held, and then taken to Gaza. This brings us to the next level of hell, and that is that many people have been kidnapped. Now, this is what Hamas intends as a human shield. If they can take a lot of people from Israel and other nations who were there as tourists, have double passports, you know, France, Israel, U.S., Israel passports, um, if they can take them to Gaza and put them in the tunnels that they've built over many years, uh, then perhaps uh, Israel will not bomb Gaza. There are 27 Americans, we are given to understand, being held by Hamas. And I want to say that the people of Hamas are human beings and they are uh, not demons, although I consider them to be quite, quite evil. But when they hold you a hostage, they observe no accords. There is no Geneva Convention. Uh, there is no agreement that they have with any nation on the world in the world about the care of hostages. They will be beating them. They will be raping them. They will be dismembering them. They will be uh, torturing them. They might keep some in good shape and release them to back their enemies off just a little bit, but only so that they can do more damage. So be assured that in the tunnels under Hamas and even extending into Israel, you have people who have been kidnapped who are supposed to be human shields, and they are being treated with the extreme of torture. Uh, there's just almost no question about it. So the upshot is that on October the 7th, Hamas launched an unbelievably bloody intentionally bloody, ghastly incursion into Israel. 
They chopped off heads. They mutilated bodies. They captured young, decent-looking women. And I don't, I'm not trying to be sexist in saying that they went for good-looking, scantily-clad girls. That way they felt like they had a moral case against them because they weren't dressed according to Islamic standards. IDF soldiers were killed. Young girls have been captured and taken. Families have been shot. Again, 1,500. So on that day, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared to the world that Israel was at war. Well, take those words seriously. Take those words seriously. Now, there has been a call-up of reserves in Israel. Israel has a very extensive reserve system. All young, capable people serve in the military, at least for a season, so the entire nation can mobilize for war. You have perhaps, and estimates are varying, but perhaps 100,000 uh, IDF reserves who have been called up. Uh, they are amassing on the border of Gaza. What's been going on for the last few days is that the IDF has been going through Israel, making sure it kills any Hamas terrorists who might be lurking. They've killed about 1,500 of them. There are, by the way, thousands of wounded during this time uh, on both sides. And now it's very clear that Israel intends to end Hamas in Gaza and probably to take Gaza over for itself, to undo the accords, uh, undo the results of previous agreements, undo the elections uh, which propelled Hamas to its uh, position, and they are going to wipe these people out. I'm saddened by the suffering of the people, the innocent people of Gaza. Many of them hate their government, don't like that a terrorist organization governs them, despise Iran. By the way, Iran is Shiite, as I've said earlier, and the people of Gaza are for the most part Sunni. So you've got a religious dictatorship. They aren't even agree with the, in agreement with theologically. And they're going to suffer a great deal. There have been bombardments, and Israel tries to be strategic, and it's warned everybody to leave Gaza. Clearly, they're going to go in, and they're going to tear the joint down. They're going to kill anybody who thinks positively about Hamas, and uh, they, I think, intend to drive any kind of opposition to Israel from Gaza. And this, I believe, is exactly what Iran intended. Let me pause here and say my concern most now, I grieve and weep over those who have been killed. I grieve over the violence. I work a lot in the Middle East. I have very close Muslim friends. I despise the fact that the evil Muslims, violent Muslims, terrorist Muslims bring horrible suffering onto my Muslim friends who want to live peacefully in the world. And I don't have any problem saying, having just said that sentence, I am radically pro-Israel, worked in Israel, lobbied for Israel, radically pro-Israel, believe that Israel has a place to exist in the world. I'm a Christian, as everybody knows who listens to this, and Israel is dear to my heart and Jews are dear to my faith. So where I am on all this is not even in question. But I can also love my Muslim friends and hate the horrors that fall on them because there are so many terrorist organizations bringing judgment down on their heads. Undeserved judgment, by the way. So all of that to say, what I am concerned about now is the next move in the chess game. What I am concerned about now is that Iran is filled with evil people, but not stupid people. And I'm not talking about the people on the street whom I love, especially the youth who are the majority of the nation. I love the Iranian people. I despise the Iranian government. And I think that they know, I think they knew that everything that's happened up till now would happen. 
If you go into Israel and start shooting people up and do the ghastly kinds of murders and slaughter that Hamas did, what's going to happen? Israel's going to mount up and it's going to go riding into Gaza. Of course, anybody knows that. Any high school student taking an international affairs course knows that. Something's next. And I am warning my friends in Washington, D.C. I am warning my friends who work in relief in in Israel. Uh, I am warning those who are friends of mine or under any kind of influence of mine when it comes to foreign policy that the other shoe is yet to drop. All of what's happened thus far was known. Now, God knows Mossad, the Israeli intelligence force, was asleep at the wheel. They were distracted. I hope Netanyahu removes people and does a house cleaning. U.S. intelligence didn't do Israel any favors either, and we have an agreement to exchange that kind of intelligence. We were asleep at the wheel. But all this is sort of factored in. You attack, Israel's going to counterattack, they're going to go into Gaza, they're going to do it violently. What does this give Iran a pretext to do? What's next? Let's just not play 2D chess. Let's play 3D chess. I don't believe this was just about preventing the deal, the working relationship that was being negotiated between Saudi Arabia and Israel. I don't think it was just about this. I don't think it's just about the ongoing tensions between Iran, Hamas, and Israel. I don't think it's just about the killing of Soleimani, uh, a general for the Iranians. I don't think it's just about that. I think something else is coming. And I urge those who listen to this podcast, and thank you, people in the State Department, people in Congress, people on the Intelligence Committee, I appreciate the fact you give me a hearing, and I try to keep these short so I don't waste your time. But I'm not just interested in seeing Israel go in and take over Gaza, expecting that that's all there is. Let's keep our eyes open. This was factored in. This was considered. That's why Hamas was given a license, so to speak, to be as utterly violent as it was. It did not have to be that violent. It did not have to hit the headlines with the beheadings of children and the gutting of grandmothers and the slicing of babies out of wombs, etc. I'm being graphic to make a point, not because I enjoy it. Something's coming next, and it's not just Israeli takeover of Gaza. Now, there's a final question, and I realize I've gone a bit long, but there's a final question I want to address before I end this podcast. And people often ask me, whose side are you on? They're not mad at me. They just know that I I have relationships on both sides. I teach guest lecture at a Saudi uh, university. I am in Israel often. I work with the Kurds extensively. I confuse them. (laughs) I don't seem to be, as they would call it, this is not my language. It's there as I uncrazy, and I don't seem to be, uh, you know, a woke, you know, pro-Palestinian. And I'm not. I'm not. I believe that Israel has a right to exist in the world. That has been granted to it by the authorities in this world that establish nations. The UN has established that. Previous concords have established that. Military victories, which often confirms who gets what territory, that's just the way it works in our world system, have established it. Israel has defended its borders repeatedly. And since 1948, it has had a place among the nations of the world, to use Netanyahu's phrase. It does have the right to exist in the world. And it is, it is a benefit to the world. You ought to look up inventions and discoveries engineered by Israeli scientists. You ought to look up what they have contributed to the world. You ought to look up the good they're doing. And because I'm in Israel often, uh, I know that some of the Arabs uh, in the Middle East who are treated the best are Arab citizens of Israel. And there are many. 
they, they get fantastic benefits and care and, and government services. So it's not, it's not the Israeli versus Arab tension that you might think within Israel. But there's no question that Muslim, largely Muslim nations outside uh, have been radicalized and they are unwilling to live at peace with Israel. And so they make it a doctrine of their faith that Israel has to go. Part of their reason for being, part of the Iranian reason for existing, it says, is to drive Israel into the sea. Now, others are going a different way. Other nations, some along, uh, some in the, amongst the Emirates, certainly Saudi Arabia, they're willing to have deals with Israel. They're willing to let market forces prevail. They're willing to live and let live. Uh, this doesn't mean they affirm the religious side of each other. It means that they can do deals and benefit each other and bring peace to the region. Something I applaud, something I'm helping with. But my point is, that's not the more radical nations. That's not the Shias that are taking over in Baghdad. Uh, That's not the Iranian government. That's not Bahrain and a few others. Now, my point is, I'm pro-Israel. That does not make me anti-Muslim, but I am radically anti-extremist Muslim. I'm radically anti-a version of Islam that cannot let Israel exist in the world. You know, Muhammad actually welcomed the place of the Jews on earth. Muhammad did not call, uh, for the most part, in most cases, for the destruction of the Jews. He called both Jews and Christians a people of the book, and in his early days, allowed them to live peacefully uh, within his realm, so to speak. He admired them, actually. He admired them, and even probably had a Jewish wife, definitely had a Kurdish wife. What am I trying to say? I believe that a horrible misreading of the Quran and Islam has caused a radicalization that's been mixed with politics and has turned into the kind of anti-Semitism we see in the Middle East and we see on American university campuses. It's dangerous, it's wrong, it's ungodly. Israel has a place among the nations and good Muslims have always known it. The Quran does not forbid the existence of a nation of Israel. In fact, you know, the, the Quran doesn't even mention Jerusalem, doesn't even mention it. So the idea that Muslims have an exclusive claim to it is silly. Is that me putting Muslims down? No. Deep regard for my Muslim friends. But they have allowed, not all of them, certainly not my Kurdish friends, but many Muslims in the world have allowed religious, older religious extremists who are grinding out political grudges to pervert Islamic theology and thus to turn hatred on Israel. And I want to tell you it's time for that to stop. I'm in favor of Israel. I'm in favor of Hamas being ended in the world, Hezbollah too. I'm in favor of Iran undergoing a generation of leadership change. Let the young arise. Let their voices be heard. We would have a wonderful nation, beautiful, artistic, rich. I love the Iranian people. I despise the Iranian government. And so now we're going to have bloodshed. Now we're going to have terror in the Middle East. The Israelis have the right to attack their enemies uh, who have slaughtered their people coming out of Gaza. I pray they'll do it with temperance. I pray they will not do it in such a way as to uh, utterly destroy civilian life. But we are far from this being over. And if we want to blame, if we want to blame, we should be blaming primarily Muslim extremists at the heads of certain nations that are refusing to allow the Abraham Accords 
and other uh, other accords, other agreements like the one uh, impending between Saudi Arabia and Israel to come about because we could see a beautiful, peaceful restructuring of the Middle East if radical, violent, hatred, terrorist Islam was removed. And that, I think, is just about what's going to happen. Thank you for listening. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, and senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.